0: Welcome to The Female Leads. I'm Ava Hartling, founder and host of this podcast. Here on The Female Leads, I speak to inspiring women leaders about their journey to unlocking their own potential. Canadian author Margaret Atwood said it best, we still think of powerful men as born leaders and powerful women as an anomaly. Well, I want to change that perception. That's why my guests here every week are powerful women from different backgrounds, different walks of life, and different industries. They're business women, artists, media personalities, and more. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice. Give me a very good rating. Five stars is ideal and some feedback as well. Uh, follow us on Instagram at thefemaleleads and you can also visit thefemaleleads.com. Today, my guest is Erica Wark, a dear, dear friend of mine. Erica is a celebrity stylist and TV personality and she really is one of the best in the trade she appears on ctv's the social and your morning here in canada she's dressed a whole roster of celebs from tv hosts to film actors and actresses if you love fashion or you're just interested by the trade this show is definitely for you
1: thank you for having me i am so excited and honored and really
0: into talking about women in their careers We started from the beginning, of course. I asked Erica what kind of childhood did she have and what led her to start a career in styling. And I think so there was always uh, obviously a passion to
1: perform Mm. and also to work in a creative industry. And so to be honest, all through high school, the whole gamut, I thought for sure that I was going to be a singer. Mm. Um, More so I thought I was going to go into musical theater. And in fact, I applied to uh, several programs across Canada, and I even got into Ryerson for mm. a musical theater. Amazing! I was the first year where grade thirteen would be no more. So you went from grade twelve to to university, college, or college. Or university, exactly, yeah. and so um, I basically wasn't ready yet hmm. um, because all those years I had been planning my path to do singing, um, and then when as I got older. I realized that maybe that wasn't my truest passion. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to actually take another year back at school. I called it my victory lap. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thank God for that year because I actually learned that I loved to write. Wow! Uh, I took a course that's called Writer's Craft mm-hmm. and I fell in love with it. And I wanted to immerse myself in an industry where I could be creative mm-hmm. um, but that I could also express myself through writing. Uh, I had actually never thought I'd go into television necessarily but that certainly wasn't off the table. Right. I, I always loved to perform so it's kind of funny that I ended up where I am because it's like well of course because that's what I've been working my whole life towards anyways. I just didn't realize mm-hmm. it at the time and also when I hit 13 I shot up and became a giant I was really short my whole (laughs) life in elementary school. I was like the shortest girl in in class. I'm not kidding. And then grade nine hit and I went through this crazy growth spurt and I'm now 5'10". Right. Um, And so my mom's friend was like, you should get your daughter into modeling. And so my mom was like, hey, what do you think about this? Yeah. And I always loved fashion Mm -hmm. and I always loved dressing up and the whole thing. And so I thought, sure, let's... Let's try it out. Yeah. So I actually started modeling when I was 13 um, and did it for many, many years. I traveled both to um, Montreal and Toronto on the regular doing gigs mm. while I was in school, which was a little challenging, yeah, but I made bit. it work. Yeah. Um, um, it certainly helped pay my way through university. I ended up deciding to go into journalism. Okay. Um, and I did a dual program at Ottawa U and... Algonquin, which gave me um, a university degree and a college diploma. Part of the program at the end, you had to do, in order to finish it, you had to do an eight-week internship. Okay. Which I loved.
0: Where did you do yours?
1: Of course I drunk big and I was like, I'm going to New York. And my (laughs) teachers were like, Well, we were thinking like more like, you know, doing a local (laughs) newspaper, like maybe in Smith Falls. And I'm like, I'm like, no, no, I'm going to New York. <laughs> and so I ended up getting an internship in corporate communications at DDB Advertising. Oh, fantastic. And it was unbelievable. Hmm. I learned so much. I got to edit speeches by the former CEO, Keith Reinhardt, who at the time was pushing for Obama. This was back in 2008. Oh, wow. So I got to be a part of that experience, which was unbelievable. And then I also, um, was editing speeches for the current CEO at the time who was going to universities to speak to people my age Mm. about advertising. So he's like, who better than someone who's literally going through right right now? So what I learned from that, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And my bosses were just incredible. And, um, I was almost too efficient. Like I'd finished mm. work too soon. And then I'm like, what next, what next? Mm-hmm. And they're like, Oh my God, what are we going to do with this girl? So I've always been a bit of a workhorse, yeah. Uh, which obviously led to me eventually being self-employed. And I think why I've been able to be a successful entrepreneur is mm-hmm. because I love to work. Right. It's just something that's always been instilled in me. Even yeah. as soon as I hit 16, at that point, I was working three jobs and, mm-hmm. ha- and was in school. So it's just something that
0: has always been a part of my life. Did you think that's something, did that come from your upbringing? Was it your parents, you know, instilling that in you or were you just born that way? I think it was a
1: little bit of a born that way, but also definitely my parents were all about working really hard mm-hmm. to get what you want in life right. and having no shortcuts Yeah, and uh, and being passionate about what you do. So journalism. I did journalism. Loved it. I started doing freelancing as soon as I finished my diploma. Mm -hmm. Um, I did two internships in New York, actually. I did one a year later as well for a PR brand that worked with fashion um, houses. And Mm -hmm, that was a mm -hmm. lot of fun. I lived in Soho. It was like so cool. Yeah. Um, And then I came back to Ottawa was doing more freelance writing for various publications, um, across Canada, a lot of online content because mm-hmm. that's kind of when all the magazines started moving going to online. online. Yeah. And that's also when I realized, Hmm, maybe that maybe working in print is not going to be the most <laughs> ideal career path Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the internet taking over the world. And so, uh, I went back to Ottawa. I ended up getting a job as an assistant manager at a retail store in Ottawa. And I learned so much there. I learned how to dress all different kinds of women Mm. in all different walks of life. Mm. Um, I was still doing a little bit of modeling on the side when I had free time. And then I also started teaching modeling courses (laughs) at my agency, (laughs) which was so fun because I was basically working with a bunch of, um, young girls, yeah. teenage girls, and helping build their confidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. was unbelievable. Yeah. I I remember feeling so tired after working a long shift at the Rito Center and like schlepping over to the offices and then having to teach a class like five to nine. Mm-hmm. So here I am working like a sixteen hour day, but mm-hmm. I felt so empowered. Right and energized yeah. after helping these young girls it was feel good about themselves. It was a experience. So I, yeah, yeah, it was absolutely rewarding. So I did that for a little bit, but realized, um, although I learned a ton from retail, it wasn't my end goal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I had all those side hustles, I basically started building on those side hustles, okay. working at the agency more, doing more classes, and then it was actually my modeling agency who hired me for my very first styling job. Oh really? And I didn't even know that I wanted to do that.
0: Yeah. I, I just had haven't. no
1: idea, huh. but they hired me and they thought, you know, I think you'd be really good at this. Are you interested? And I was like, well, I have no idea how to do it, but yeah, let's figure yeah, it out. <laughs> I'll try. Yeah. So I said yes. And that was obviously like a life changing experience. Hmm and what's even more wild is the very first styling gig i had was for television oh okay so it was kind so, of preview of things to come yes and i remember going back home and i was like oh my god i want to do this for
0: the rest of my life i was like i don't know how i'm gonna do it but so that's when you knew that's you when you knew I that me. styling was your calling that's absolutely what you'd be doing. yes
1: i felt like a light bulb had gone off And it's never gone out since. It was unbelievable. And
0: what was it about the experience? Was it, you obviously love fashion, but Mm -hmm. it was probably a little bit more than that. Like what's the element that kind of really drives you in that process? I think ultimately I just love helping people.
1: Mm. My mom's a nurse. um, I think I get a lot of that from her. Mm. And I faint at the sight of blood. So I was never obviously going to be a nurse, (laughs) but I found my own way of helping people. And I just felt so, uh, joyful being able to give these other people joy and they felt so good after the experience and that made me feel so good. Mm -hmm. And being able to do that sort of on the fly and almost as a performance at the same time, it really, Encapsulated
0: all of my favorite things yeah, into can, one job. I can see that because there was kind of the 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 theater dance performance, like yep. the, you know that was just like being a singer. That's yep. the entertainer in you, totally the performer in you, and then you have that love for fashion and helping someone. It, it makes perfect sense when it you look at totally it. It totally does when you look at it from hindsight. But mm. at the at the time,
1: I never would have. First of all, I didn't even think that was a job. Right. I mean. I, can't, I come from a very small town outside of Ottawa, mm. um, like literally in the country with like cows and all things. And so <laughs> I didn't even know this was a job. Yeah. Then they just kept having That's me back. Fantastic. Yeah. And then it just grew from there. Right. So yeah, it was, it was so wild. It was, it's like I tripped and fell into my career. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you said, when you look back and seeing all the connections, those mm. small little connections that are seemingly insignificant... They become so significant. Mm-hmm. And I
0: think that's amazing. Was there someone at the time, because you say you didn't even know styling was a career, but then when you went out in the world and starting doing more gigs, you obviously discovered that there was a whole world of, of styling out there. Were there people who, you know, you looked up to as role models or influence or inspiration? I had an incredible group of women who
1: absolutely supported me and I would not be where I am today without them. Mm. Um, I had a few friends of mine who also worked in television. They were hosts of the shows that I would go on um, to do my fashion segments and they really took me under their wing and just helped me understand the industry um, and helped foster my career. They introduced me to other people in their groups of people Mm -hmm. and then I started doing personal shopping. And I started doing wardrobing and closet consultations. And again, that just continued to grow organically where, Mm -hmm. you know, I would do one client and then they would tell three of their friends and then I'd do their friends and Mm -hmm. so on and so Mm -hmm. forth. And so I I feel incredibly blessed to have been surrounded by women who support women. Right. Because this industry... You know, television, entertainment, fashion, mm. they all have a pretty bad reputation about support. Sure
0: yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a tough, yes. competitive environment. Yes. I wanted to know what Erica's stake was on the power of clothes for confidence. I remember speaking to one of Erica's clients, actress Amanda Bruegel who was just about to walk the red carpet at TIFF to do official interviews with a bunch of actors. And this is not something Amanda usually does. She's usually on the other side of the camera. Amanda had confided that the ITRO power outfit that Erica had put her in made her feel like she could do anything. And that had stuck with me because we all have that piece in our closet or that pair of boots or shoes that we pull when we need to feel extra before a big meeting or a big presentation.
1: Your wardrobe says a lot about you Um, and I mean, even if you think about it from like a job interview, Mm -hmm. one of the big things that you're considering is what you're going to wear because ultimately before you even open your mouth and say anything, Mm -hmm. it's your first foot, your first step in the door. They're looking at you. Um, and it's also putting something on your body that you feel good about your body language changes totally when you feel good in something and you feel confident uh, it's amazing what you can achieve. And I think unfortunately some people don't really see the value in um, what clothing or jewelry can accomplish mm-hmm. when uh, when you're putting something on, but it is incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. I remember my first national um, audition, it was for Steven and Chris On CBC. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I grew up watching those guys, doing designer guys and Mm -hmm. everything. So it was a dream come true just to be considered and to be able to audition. And not only was it important, the looks I put together to talk about during the audition, but it also really mattered what I wore. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I'm going in as a fashion expert... I I best, I best be looking the the part. part. (laughs) So like I ended up wearing, and I'll never forget. I wore these fabulous red leather pants. Mm -hmm. I wore this beautiful white silk tunic. And then I wore these killer leopard print booties. And I knew that I would stand out in that outfit because it packed a lot of punch. Mm. It also, um, packed a lot of energy. And I feel like, you know, going into an interview like that, where you're really auditioning for something, you have to stand out. And I knew that I would stand out in that. And mm. I also knew that I would feel beautiful and confident mm. so that when I did highlight the looks I was showing, I felt more comfortable yeah. to do it. Yeah. That and I think that there's a lot of value in what you wear and how it makes you feel. Mm. A lot of the time when I have clients reach out to me uh, I actually had one recently a few weeks ago. She um was in- she's incredibly petite. She's just had two kids and so her body has obviously changed mm-hmm. and she's like I don't know where to even begin mm. dressing myself. Right. And that makes me feel like really sad that she w- that she was obviously feeling like having such a struggle with it. Yeah. And so I went through her closet with her a few weeks ago and we got rid of the stuff that she was hanging on to and just sort of decluttered to make everyone, her feel really good. I, I need to do that, and I'm pretty sure every, it's everyone needs to, to go through if, that You exercise. just feel lighter and brighter, and Yeah, it's so great. Mm-hmm. And um, and so then this week, we actually went shopping together, and we found her some fantastic pieces, mm-hmm. and she looked incredible. And you could tell that she felt incredible. Yeah, yeah. And for me, like that's always the biggest win is mm-hmm. when... Um, when the woman at the end feels joyful. Right. And it was the same thing with Amanda Bruegel styling her for the TIFF job um, that we did back in September. She isn't normally a host. Right. She's an actress. She's an actress. Yeah. She's normally the one being interviewed on the red carpet. <laughs> exactly. So for her to be on the other side of things, mm. she obviously was nervous, as she should be. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make sure that I gave her the armor, yeah. if you will, yeah. to like the concept. to be ready for battle Mm. on the carpet and feel confident in herself and uh and i really think that made a big difference for her Mm -hmm. because she did an incredible job right and i knew she would um, but i think she just needed a little pep in her step to get her there and i think in many ways
0: um the looks we put together did that for her yeah well she, she looked absolutely fantastic <laughs> so how do you approach that because when you're working with someone and I think that's you know what being a real true stylist is that's the secret to the to the craft is you're not you're not choosing clothes based on what you like what your personal taste is how do you kind of adapt you know to your clients uh, persona and personality and 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 their own sense of style Yeah, that's a great question. I mean,
1: I think it depends on, it's obviously a case-by-case basis. Everybody's different. Um, Some of my clients are already very aware of their style and what Mm -hmm. they like. And so then I'm merely providing the items that I think best suit what they are looking for. And then there's other clients who are literally starting from scratch and Mm -hmm. then we're building. And so often what I'll do is I'll do an interview with them Just to kind of learn more about their life, Mm. their lifestyle, what they do. Do they have kids? Do they have... um, What do they do for work? What do they do for fun?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Like, do they travel? What's their lifestyle? What is their lifestyle? So I can get a better understanding of what their needs are more than what their wants are. Mm -hmm. And I think um unfortunately as <laughs> both men and women we've we've all wasted a dollar or two on some purchases that we've probably never worn yes. myself included i'm guilty <laughs> of that um and so that's why it's really important for me to figure out
0: what their needs are right cuz i'd rather fulfill yeah. their needs yeah. than their wants yeah, if that exactly. makes sense because um, you can look really good in something, but if you're not going to wear it and you paid a fortune for it, you know, there's, there's no point. Just going to hang in your closet. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I can usually
1: tell as soon as someone comes out in something, um, whether it's a yes or a no, mm-hmm. because again, the body language, Right. if someone's yeah. fussing with something, even though they love it, they yes. might absolutely adore it. Yes. But if they're fussing with it or if they are coward a little bit yeah. or then it's a no. Yeah. Because it's always going to be bugging them. Totally. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because I've had several clients that afterwards say to me, oh, I thought you'd get rid of more. Like when I do a closet mm-hmm, clean mm-hmm. Out, they always say that to me. And I was like, I don't know why we're perceived. I think as we go back to what not to wear. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, unfortunately... We all remember we, those scenes where... <laughs> where they're getting rid of everything. Yeah, empty the whole closet. But that's not real life. Yeah. And yeah. there's lots of goodies in there. Yeah. It's really about finding pieces that work for their life mm. um, and look best on them mm-hmm. And then it's also just filling in the gaps to create a more well-rounded wardrobe. Mm-hmm. And so for me, ultimately, I want my client to be happy and to feel good and so I am always willing to um, bend in order to make sure that that service is fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So I might, personally not like a certain silhouette on me right but it might look fabulous on my client Mm -hmm. and you know styling um two national shows for the last two years the social in your morning uh I was working with 10 hosts five days a week wow all who are incredibly different as I'm sure you can imagine (laughs) yeah all of them have a different sense of style so for me it was finding those pieces that best suit them and their body types and everything from there but also that makes them feel best Mm -hmm. i'm not going to um for example melissa agrello loves like a really beautiful bodycon look right i'm not going to then go put her in like a bag yeah exactly (laughs) yeah yeah. just because it's fashion yeah yeah yeah
0: you know that's not going to be her thing no and and she's not going to feel good about it I asked Erica about the pressure that comes with dress codes and the fact that in 2019, most corporate environments still impose an antiquated approach to dressing for work. One of the greatest joys I personally experienced this past year was being able to dress like myself once I left my executive job to become an entrepreneur.
1: I have a lot of clients who are in that exact position. And in fact, one that sticks out to me in particular, she works in finance. Um, She's an Ottawa client of mine. And I would I call her my biggest success story because mm. she, she lived in only suits. Okay. And it was the most boring wardrobe uh-huh. I've exactly. ever seen. It was yeah. so sad. Yeah. And so hence <laughs> why she reached out to me because she's like, girl, I need your help. Yeah. And the suits were beautiful suits. They fit her beautifully. Mm-hmm. But she was just so bored. And I think, like you said, I think she felt that to be in the position she was in... As a financial advisor, because most of the people she works with are men Mm -hmm. in those suits, she felt she had to do the same thing. Exactly. Work wardrobe has changed so much. I basically tried to eliminate that thought process from her and open and expand her ideas to what workwear meant for her. Mm -hmm. And so um, we worked together for a couple years uh, because we were literally starting from scratch. So, like winter, spring, summer, fall, Mm -hmm. we had to do Mm -hmm. it all. And I had so much fun with her because she really trusted me to build a wardrobe that was work appropriate, but that Mm. she also felt great in and watching even more of her personality come out as I got to know her more. And as she started wearing these more colorful, um, pieces, printed pieces, Mm. more feminine pieces, um, it was like I opened her up completely and I just felt like this is why I do this job. It was like, that's why I call her my best, like my best case study because she hung on to every piece of advice I gave her and she went with it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think it actually made her
0: more successful as a financial advisor Mm. Because she gained confidence exactly in who she is and who she could be and she even was, without the suit. And she could yes, be herself probably a little she bit She was more. able to show more of her own personality mm-hmm. and not be so stuffy mm-hmm. and, and tightly wound in those suits. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I watch, you know, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. And that's exact. I mean, I love those stories because usually just making a change or kind of considering a change in how you look or how you... Uh, just you know the grooming the hair uh, the decor in your house and then often we've kind of fallen into certain patterns or habits because there's something we're, we're covering up or something we haven't we're not fully owning who we are who we want to be and so much of that has a connection to what we choose to wear and, and look like on a on Oh my a gosh daily basis. 100% and I have to say even for men it's come a long way
1: um, I have a, I had a politician client, um, back when I was in Ottawa and he only, same thing, only had suits and they were like 10 years old. So they didn't fit properly at all. And we had to do a full closet overhaul and I had to buy him an entirely new wardrobe. Mm. But, um, the way he, again, the way he moved, the way he, um, held his, his body language, is. The way he positioned himself changed dramatically. Even just walking out of the fitting room when mm-hmm. we went shopping together, it was unbelievable. Mm. And not to mention, I'm, I think the the biggest problem with men is um, getting the proper fit, right? With suiting, with pants, with jackets, all that the things. Yeah. And um, and he looked like he lost fifty pounds, right? Simply by. Wearing the appropriate size and style of suit or jeans or shirt Mm. or whatever.
0: Erica and I spoke about body diversity and the importance of body positivity, which often go hand in hand. And the issue today is that a lot of brands are not making clothes that fit uh, women past a certain size, or they'll make uh, larger sizes that don't actually fit uh, somebody who's a real size 10 or a real size 12 and so on. Several blogs are dedicated to the issue. And one of my personal favorites is the 12-ish style.
1: I think people like that blogger that you're talking about um, are really changing the game when it comes to the fashion industry. It's And, you know, models like Ashley Graham is another oh, one that comes to mind. Fantastic. I mean, yeah. she's really put um, plus size modeling at the forefront of mm-hmm. fashion. And, and we have models like her to thank for that. This, the industry has a long way to go, mm. I will say. Yeah. Um, I mean, you put it best, a lot of stores only go up to size large or size 10 or 12, mm. and that's just not what women or men are really wearing. Yeah. And although we have made some major strides, there are a lot more brands that do have full size ranges. Mm-hmm. There are still a lot of brands that do not.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I really hope that these You know, influencers, if you will, will continue to use their platform to hopefully uh, change the minds of these brands. Mm. And what blows my mind is obviously they are seeing that they're lacking a huge range of options. Mm -hmm. So wouldn't it be in their best interest to have those, so they could therefore make more money? Exactly. (laughs) Even some brands recently that have expanded their size range, uh, Loft comes to mind that they've recently uh, launched a plus size collection. Mm -hmm. I know H and M has also gone uh, with the larger sizes as well as down to like the smaller ones, like like, zero double zero. Um, Le Chateau is another brand that has a full-size range like we're getting Mm -hmm. there and they're working with
0: luxurious rocks yes to promote you know I mean she's another incredible
1: advocate for the industry Uh, and then you know there's people like myself who have a platform um, for national exposure who you know my producers and I it is very important to us that we have diversity as our models that's great Um, and not only in size but also in age yes we have a lot mm-hmm. of, of women who watch The Maryland Dennis Show and The Social who are retired. Mm. Uh, my mom, my mom's 61, and um, these women want to feel good and fabulous mm. at their age too, and yeah. they should. Yeah. And so I think it's really important that not
0: only are we showing um, size diversity, but that we're also showing age diversity. Could not agree with you more. And I saw, I mean, in a jewelry industry, I saw a huge gap, again, because... Uh, companies traditionally were really catering I mean the images you saw in marketing were always first they were really focusing on men buying for women which I completely disagree with and you know I uh, we, we, we I led the rebranding of Burks and we really positioned the, the offering towards self-purchasing women because mm-hmm. they we're buying hundred percent we are yes and, and we make the fashion decisions <laughs> for ourselves but um in 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 marketing and this is across not just in jewelry across accessories and fashion you always see that younger woman and it's like where is the fabulous 70 year old who's still and 70s and new 50 you know women in the 70s or the 60s are fit they're active. Yep. They want to look good. They feel good. They still go out. They dress up. Like life does not end no. at sixty. And um, and and also they have the disposable income to you know buy a lot of these th- these things for themselves because they've had uh, they've earned you know a, a salary for a long time. They've had a professional job for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's again, there's there's again. We're starting to see some brands, and I remember when Celine put, you know, uh, John Jean Didion with the with the fabulous Celine sunglasses. Oh my gosh! Yes. That was the start of a movement, but it's still few and far between. Like We still see young, skinny women be the face of fashion brands mostly. Yep,
1: I think you're totally right, but you're right. There has been a bit of a change and a shift, and people are reacting so positively to those changes and shifts that brands are finally taking notice, and Mm -hmm. they're being more, hopefully, and will continue to be more aware of what their clientele actually is. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you're right, it's not the 16-year-old's models who are going and buying this stuff they can't afford it yeah it is the retired women who have worked their asses off to get where they are to be able to retire to then go buy the diamonds yeah yeah exactly Exactly. (laughs) so i think you know and like for me i would say my um older models that i dress are some of my favorite to dress Mm. i think and i love that you do that they they look so regal and beautiful Mm -hmm. and i mean I personally would get really bored if I just dressed a bunch of size two models (laughs) who are 16 years old day in and day out. It would get very boring. Uh, It is so much fun for me to be able to dress everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think in order to call yourself a stylist, you should be able to dress anybody, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. um, That's the craft. Yeah. And I think that, I think what those shows do so well is they're so, Um, aware of of having that diversity Mm -hmm. and I'm really grateful to be on shows like that who empower women of all ages
0: and all sizes Mm -hmm. it's pretty Mm -hmm. great A topic I really wanted to broach with Erica was did she feel as a stylist often her role wasn't taken seriously or she wasn't taken seriously as a person?
1: Yeah I mean I think it definitely depends on who your audience is that Mm -hmm. you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Um, Growing up in Ottawa and especially like from a small town I mean people did not understand what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I would even say like my mother was also not my biggest advocate when I first started in this industry. And it wasn't because she didn't believe in me or didn't want me to find my passion. It's just she was, she was afraid um, of me failing and also didn't really understand what it was that I was going for. Right. Um, styling for so many years was so behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. No one knew what it the existed. job entailed. Yeah. Um, It's only in the last decade that stylists have become celebrities in their own right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an amazing thing. And not just stylists, but also hairstylists and makeup artists. I mean, finally they're getting um, the recognition that they deserve. Um, But, you know, it's a tough industry and unfortunately it has taken a long time to be taken seriously by mm-hmm. other industries who don't understand it. Right. Obviously, talking to you and talking to other people who work in our industry, mm-hmm. everybody understands what that is. Yeah. But if you go outside of that, mm-hmm. and especially outside of um, a big city like Toronto, where mm-hmm. there just aren't opportunities like that. Yeah. It's a different story. Um, it can be a different story, and mm. it can be a bit of teaching.
0: <laughs> yes. So you're you're very much you know you're making your own path. You've you've basically built the job you have. You've made it happen for yourself. So you, you're an entrepreneur. It's your you know it's your own business. Uh, what keeps you motivated to keep going on a daily basis?
1: That is a great question. Um, I am by nature. Uh, like I said, a workhorse. Mm. I love to work mm-hmm. um, and I am incredibly and you love what you do and I love what I do So often it doesn't even feel like work I really enjoy it. Uh, I also am incredibly ambitious. I think that's again just something that you're born with mm. and I've always had that. So ambition really drives me um, I love to set goals for myself okay I'm a am a list writer. I don't know about you but I like love <laughs> to write lists yeah, and yeah. notes. And so finalist. every January I will always or like usually over the holidays um, I'll take some time and write out goals for myself for the following year mm-hmm. and I actually kept a little book of when I did it for the first time back in 2010 when I left my full-time job right. and started the, into this crazy industry and uh, I actually looked at it recently and I crossed off everything on the list Oh, that's Which is
0: pretty fantastic. wonderful. Fantastic. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. And that, that feel, the feeling must be so great to yeah. be like, oh, I listed these goals and check, check, check. And I did them all. Totally. And I'm so glad I kept it. And yeah. I think I'm going to start keeping all of them because I feel idea. like that's a,
1: maybe it'll be in the book someday that I write. But I just feel <laughs> like I, I think I, when you love what you do, you just want to continue to work towards it Mm. and for me i've always been incredibly open to new opportunities Mm -hmm. um i believe that you know we all have a path in life Mm -hmm. and you have to be open to the universe so that these things can come to you yeah and um if it feels good even if you're not sure how the heck you're going to pull it off Mm -hmm. you say yes and then figure it out after (laughs) and that's what i've done basically my entire career and it seems to have worked out so far far. (laughs) it's worked out pretty well so i think you know in terms of um what fuels me, I think is all of those things. I mm-hmm. think it's just wanting to expand and grow in whatever that may mean for me. Mm-hmm. I think, it, you know, what's great about the fashion industry is it's always evolving. So I'm just kind of being open to new
0: opportunities as they come to me. And mm-hmm. I'm also just going to really enjoy the ride as it's happening. And that sounds fantastic. What, where does fear come in? What What scares you and how do you deal with that fear when it shows up. So I'm really um, grateful that I learned at a young age
1: to stop fear in its tracks. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because I started this job and literally, like you said, I built it from nothing mm-hmm. at 25, right. 24, 25. Um, it gave me... When you when you literally start swimming from nothing... You have no choice but to dive in mm. completely, right? And if you don't push for what you want, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And if you've got to put food on the table and you got to pay your bills, yeah, uh, you, you'll make it happen. You will make it happen. Mm-hmm. And so um, I feel that because I put myself in that kind of position so young. Um, it kind of just became part of who I am hmm mm-hmm. and so it's a way of life for it is now. a way of life it's Yes, not, it's not an so alternative I, exactly mm-hmm. so anytime those negative thoughts creep in which inevitably they do uh, we all have like little like s- sad moments for ourselves and pity parties that's normal but I think what I've been able to do is shake them off mm-hmm. quite quickly or um, sort of turn the negative thought into a positive one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that doesn't only work for our industry, but it works for all aspects of your life. Absolutely. And I think that I really owe a lot of that to diving in completely at a mm-hmm. young age and having to like sink or swim. And yeah. I swam. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of gave myself, yeah, I gave mm-hmm. myself no other option but mm-hmm. to be successful in this job because I had nothing else. I think back to all of the pivotal moments in my career that were at the time dreadful mm. and really hard to live through. Those are the ones that I learned the most from. Right. Hands down. I learned more about myself. Mm-hmm. I learned about what I'm willing to um, to take on in my life and what I'm not. Mm-hmm. You learn what boundaries to put up. Mm-hmm. You learn uh, respect, how much respect you have for yourself and what you're willing to give others I mean Mm. you learn so much from those instances and I always say that as soon as I get comfortable I know it's time to get uncomfortable yeah and by that I mean move (laughs) to the next challenge in my life yes I love to live in the discomfort Mm. and I know that sounds crazy but I do because I love a challenge and I love to
0: feel um I love to accomplish goals. Well, that's spoken like a true entrepreneur because you're. I think entrepreneurs constantly put themselves in a, a position of, of discomfort. And that's where they, they're challenged and that's where they can be creative and that's where they can grow. So you you obviously <laughs> fit that job really well.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, you're never going to grow if you don't put yourself in
0: uncomfortable mm-hmm. positions. There's no challenge.
1: There's no challenge. You're never going to learn anything new. Um, if you don't dive into something that you're unsure of. Right. And for me, I'm going to say, you know, nine out of 10 times, anytime I've dove into something that I didn't know a lot about, it has been the best experience. Hmm. I think it's also learning to trust your gut and your yeah. instincts and your intuition. Absolutely. And that's something that I'm still working on. I think we work on it forever, mm-hmm. but um, you, when you work for yourself and your your own boss, and you're just a person trying to make things happen. Um, you have to be ready to put yourself in those situations, mm-hmm. or else you'll never succeed. Right. I yeah. think you have we'll be to at a stand still. exactly. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that's where the ambition um, comes from: is wanting to take on new challenges and then accomplishing those mm. challenges, and then. Checking them off, Checking your list. them off And then on to the next.
0: <laughs> what was the most difficult thing you had to deal with in your career or in your journey until now? Oh, there have been a few. Obviously, one of the
1: biggest ones was, you know, leaving a really good gig to start this wild ride. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say another big one was I took on a client who was a pretty big client um, in the entertainment industry. This was years ago when I was starting out. And um, I think that I was so excited to have such a big person in my life and, uh, and to be styling them mm-hmm. that I gave a lot of myself into the project um, from even mm. a personal level. Okay. Um, and I also as a result, wasn't like true to myself and Mm. give myself the respect that I deserved. Okay. And so therefore I wasn't really treated appropriately. Mm. And, uh, I also got taken advantage of, and I learned a lot from that. Yeah. And I also learned when to catch it. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot about other people Mm -hmm. in, in that experience. Um, I also learned that when you're working with, you know, a, a bigger celebrity of that nature, there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and oftentimes it's not really what that celebrity
0: wants. It's what everybody else, it's what wants. the entourage, is exactly whispering in their ear, or you know, trying to say on behalf of that person. Yes, and so
1: unfortunately, I felt like the celebrity wasn't able to get the best service because Mm. they weren't really aware of everything that was going on. And Mm. I felt like the intentions of some people weren't the good intentions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that made me feel really sad. Mm -hmm. And I, I learned a lot from that experience. And I also, I think the biggest takeaway for me was what I was not willing to put myself through.
0: And that was a huge lesson, which means today you won't repeat that same mistake. You've learned it for life. And it's so interesting because I asked the same question to a, a couple of guests on a podcast. And all of their answers have been very similar. Really? Everyone described a situation where they felt almost being taken advantage of or somebody kind of crossed the boundaries, but mostly they let it, they allowed it to happen. And for everyone, the answer was, but this was the best lesson I ever got because I will never let that happen again. And I learned so much about myself as a result. A hundred percent. And
1: that's exactly what happened to me. I remember like sitting on my couch crying about it. And just knowing that I was crying because, not because of the way they treated me, because I let them treat me that way. Exactly. And to me, that, that was what I was yeah. so sad about, was yeah. how did I let that happen? Yeah. Because like you said, it was 100% of my control mm. and I let them take control mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I wanted to please them yes I'm a major people pleaser mm-hmm. I think most stylists are <laughs> and uh, I wear my heart on my sleeve and so I let them take all that mm-hmm. from me and mm-hmm. I thought I will never do that again and I also will never take on a client just because it, on paper it sounds great right I will only ever take clients on that um, fit like fulfill me as much as I fulfill them mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it's a mutual uh, respect and understanding And I think that makes a whole lot of difference because you're going to get a better result
0: in the end anyways. Right. When you're both working towards the same goal. Mm -hmm. You are super busy doing all of these (laughs) gigs, being on TV, dressing your numerous clients and building your your empire. Uh, How do you find balance? How do you keep balance in your life on a daily basis? That is a great
1: question. I think that is something I'm still working on, but I think I'm also getting a little bit better at it. Uh, one of my hardest things is saying no. Mm. I am, like I said, a people pleaser and I'm also a yes man. It's just who I am. And I think that is a blessing and a curse. Mm-hmm. And so I think, uh, however, I will say as I get older and wiser, I have learned the power of saying no. And there is just as, I think people will respect you just as much, if not more if it is honestly too much to take on Mm -hmm. because you are only one person and you can only do so much and if you're wanting to give a hundred percent to every project you have, you just cannot do them all. Yeah. At least not all at the same time. (laughs) And so for me, I think, um, finding that balance is what I do a lot of the time is I'll look ahead to my monthly schedule Mm -hmm. and then I also look ahead to my weekly schedule And I always ensure that I fit in time downtime for myself right really important Mm -hmm. usually it's like at night before I go to bed Um, I also have started putting in time to the gym Mm -hmm. something that's relatively new for me only in the last year and a half have I been doing that and it's made a huge improvement on my quality of life keeping active keeping active is so important it makes me better at my job yeah Um, and also most importantly is like family time Mm -hmm. Uh, my husband lives in Ottawa through the week. I only get to see him on weekends, and so I never work weekends. Mm, my mm-hmm. weekends are 100% dedicated to my husband uh and my family, mm. whoever's around family-wise, mm. and that for me is like number 1 priority mm. because being around people who you love and who love you unconditionally mm-hmm that's what's ultimately going to fuel your soul and recharge you and recharge the battery absolutely and therefore i'll be better at my job going mm-hmm. back on onto it on monday On monday yeah. it used to be the case obviously like anything when you're building a business you have to work round the clock mm-hmm. seven days a week and i did that for years mm-hmm. uh, but i no longer
0: do that because you know now my priority is also with my family right yeah and, and yeah and that's balance for you um, so we have a couple of signature questions on, on on the show. If you could go back and do one thing differently in your life, what would it be? Oh my gosh! Mm.
1: Oh, this is such a good one. I don't really have any regrets. I feel like every everything that's happened to me is for a
0: reason, mm-hmm. and so it's really hard to think of one. And that's and that's a perfectly acceptable <laughs> answer. I mean, and I feel like even the about, silly things that yeah, I've done. You've, lear- um, you've learned from mistakes or from, um, uh, you know, uncomfortable situations or unfortunate situations. So that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I can't really think. I mean, there were probably some fashion choices that I would take <laughs> back. And that's very fitting for a stylist. Shouldn't I have worn that pink tutu? Oh, as? yeah. I
1: had some really bad fashion moments mm-hmm. as I was experimenting in my teens and early 20s. Uh, <laughs> so maybe I'd take a few of those back. But otherwise, in terms of like my life journey, I'm grateful for everything every second of it, the good, mm-hmm. the bad, the ugly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, I don't, I believe
0: in like living without regrets. Right. Yeah. and I, I think that makes perfect <laughs> sense. Is there a book that's helped shape or influence, influence your life? Oh yes, there are many. Um, I
1: went on a holiday with my family in 2011. I was a few months after I started my national appearances on Stephen and Chris. And you know, I was, it was a very exciting time for me, mm-hmm. but I also, it was also what's next and like, how do I grow on this? And I was still living in Ottawa and I was commuting to Toronto and it was a lot. And I went, um, on this holiday with my family and I brought a whole bunch of books. And one
0: of them that really stuck with me was Kelly Catron's book. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, what was it called? I... I I know exactly what you mean. And she was, you know, she appeared on the hills and was yes, kind book. of a celebrity in the world of PR. I forget yes. the name of her book, but we'll we'll find it for. But for Kelly
1: Catrone's book, uh, I think she's done multiple since then, mm-hmm. probably. But her mm-hmm. first book, um, I read that cover to cover in like a day, mm-hmm. and I I can't explain it, but I felt so connected to her journey, mm-hmm. even though she had. Way more wild ride than I did, but I felt connected in it that she kind of started from a small town and grew from there. Um, and that really catapulted me into a whole nother level of goals and aspirations mm-hmm. and ambitions. I don't think I was dreaming big enough initially, mm-hmm. and reading that book made me realize like, no, like reach for it all. Yeah. And you can do it you all. You can do it all. And since then I've read so many more that have been, um, so influential. Lean In, of course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. That was incredible. Yeah. Cheryl Sandberg's book was unbelievable. I thought it was so well-written and so honest. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Mm -hmm. I love podcasts. Good. A big fan. And um, so like just, you know, Oprah's podcast, of course, always so great. Mm -hmm. And I love hearing um, all of the stories of uh, very successful people from all walks of life who and how they got there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I've noticed with all these books that I've read and all of these podcasts that I've listened to and I've also listened to a ton of audiobooks because I used to commute from Ottawa oh, yeah. for five years <laughs> before, I got, before I moved here full-time. Like so let me tell you, time. there are so many books, it's hard to remember. I also love <laughs> yeah. You Are a
0: Badass. Yes, yes. Great
1: yes, book. Yes. I mean, I feel like I could send I you like think it was a,
0: mentioned by a few I uh, guess. on the it's show, It's a actually. great
1: one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I'd, I could go on and on. It's, mm-hmm. it's wild. But uh, The Secret, I love The Secret. It's an okay, yeah. oldie but a goodie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what I've noticed with a lot of the guests that Oprah has on is a lot of them all say similar things Mm -hmm. in the sense of the universe having your back Mm -hmm. and trusting in the universe Mm -hmm. and really ultimately trusting in yourself. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier about, um, really listening to that intuition, that gut feeling, Mm -hmm. your instincts, because they'll never steer you wrong. Yeah. If you really listen Mm -hmm. and I found like almost every successful person she's ever had on her show, her podcast and so forth have all said the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how I like to live my life because I feel like life is short and you best be enjoying what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And we spend so much of our time working. Mm -hmm. The majority of our life is spent working, not with our family, not with our friends, it's working. And so for me, it was a no brainer to then dive right in mm. to this now really not even a job for me. It's like a lifestyle for me mm-hmm. because I thought to myself, well, of course I want to be happy if I'm spending, you know, 40
0: plus yeah. hours a week doing it. That's what you spend your time doing.
1: So back to me saying about my mom and, you know, being afraid of the risk I was taking. For me, it would have been a risk staying at that other right. job. I totally hear you. Like it was a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. It was I call it the calculated risk mm-hmm. because for me, it I knew it was going to be success because I knew I was just following my heart. Right. And I think a lot of the times, um, people who have said that in the past, or these books that have been written, they all did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're. It's
0: cheesy, right. but it's true. It's true. <laughs> And to conclude, so if we fast forward 10 years from now, what do you, what do you think will have made you the most proud of? Oh my gosh. All right. 10 years. Could be 15, could be (laughs) be
1: seven. I mean, I would, I would love, love, love to, uh, write a book. Mm -hmm. I definitely want to write a book. About my journey. I would love to write about my journey. I would love to write about, um, you know, fashion tips and tricks, insider um, details to the industry, all the things. I want to write a really beautiful, robust book Mm -hmm. about uh, this journey that I've been on. Uh, I also would love to have my own clothing line someday. Mm. I feel like that would be so much fun. I totally see that. Talking about size diversity. Yeah. I would love to do something like that, Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, all women could wear my clothes. Um, I would love to have my own show someday. Mm -hmm. I would love to have a show that's focused on, um, fashion and beauty and how it can empower people. Mm Um there's so
0: many things. (laughs) So many things. It sounds like you need to add another page to your booklet of goals and you'll just keep checking that list because you've had an amazing, (laughs) amazing journey up to now. And I know that the future is very bright for you and I'm super excited to see what's coming up next. Thank you. And mostly I want to say thank you for coming in and speaking to me on the female Leads. It was great to have you and Good luck for the rest of it. Well, thank you. This is so incredibly exciting. I'm so incredibly proud
1: of you. And I can't wait to see what blossoms from this podcast and the rest of your career. I mean, I will be watching with sparkles in my eyes. <laughs> thank you so much.
0: <laughs> and that's all the time we had with Erica today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe to The Female Leads wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Give us a good rating and some feedback. I'll be back in a week with a new guest on the show. Thank you so much for listening.